I am weak and I need thy strength and power to help me over my weakest hour. Let me through the darkness thy face to see. Lead me, O Lord, lead me, lead me, guide me along the way. For if you lead me, I cannot stray. Lord, let me walk each day with thee. Lead me, O Lord, lead me. Father, whither shall we go? For you alone have the words of life. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' name, let the people say, amen. Amen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, Giving honor to God, who is the head of my life. It is an honor to be here uh, to the shepherd of the house, Dr. Allen. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, To my lovely wife, thank you, babe, for being here as well. And for leaders, faculty, staff, guests, saints, ain'ts, colleagues, did I get, did I catch everybody? (laughs) There we go. All right. Good morning to you as well. Uh, Dr. Allen alluded to it earlier. uh, My text, if you have your Bibles with you, if you would open them to Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one. I'd like to tag the text. Don't be scared. And when I received it, as you're turning, when I received the invitation, I knew exactly where I was going to go today. Um, Dr. Allen alluded to it already. Spring has sprung. It's a new season. The grass is turning green again. In my own yard, I see the dandelions and puffballs popping up again. Spring is here. Students are furiously trying to finish papers and Cross the finish line strongly. Are there any graduates, spring graduates in the room right now? Are there any? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> are, are there any hoping to graduate? Maybe that's, maybe that's the question I should ask. I'll tell you, this, this text has some personal significance for me. You see, eight years ago, uh, every year I would sit down and I would have a... a uh, a visioneering session of sorts, and I would uh, get to a point where I would have a scripture that would uh, be a, a scripture that I would want to uh, commit to memory over the course of time, and this text is that. Um, it was a reminder of um, the, the idea that I was going to a new place or was considering going to a new place. See, eight years ago, I was in marketplace ministry and wrestling with the idea of how a call would look. For me, 
working in the business sector, being comfortable, having a wife, four kids, wife pregnant with number five. Uh, The idea of embracing the call of pastoral ministry and being equipped can be somewhat scary. Um, And yet, that's exactly what I did. So now three years after that, I sat in these very seats wondering about what was the next step in what God was doing. And perhaps some of you are wondering those very same questions, whether you're a college student or a seminary student, uh, thinking about where are you going to go next? What's going to happen? Maybe it's folks that are in a room that are contemplating additional education or job opportunities, business ventures, or just trying to make it day to day. I'm excited this morning because I think this text speaks to us all. Because I believe that every Christian has a call. And we can talk about general calls, but I think, I think Spurgeon actually says it best. He says it this way. Any Christian has a right to disseminate the gospel who has the ability to do so. And more, he not only has the right, but it is his duty to do so as long as he lives. The propagation of the gospel is left not to a few, but to all the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether believers are male or female, they are all bound when enabled by divine grace to exert themselves to the utmost to extend the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. People don't speak that way anymore. Every disciple of Jesus Christ has a God-given calling and responsibility to be a disciple maker. Not only that, I believe God expects us to be successful in our pursuit of the calling that he provides to us. God also grants us gifts to be used toward those specific callings, and and that's a topic that I'd be uh, delighted to discuss with anyone over coffee because I know I don't have time to go through all of it today. However, if you're going to go to sleep before I finish, remember this. If God calls you to it, he can carry you through it. If God calls you to it, he can carry you through it. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for, your, for, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Oh, I love that. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. With the time we have, my desire is to uh, exhort us all to embrace the calls that we have on our life and to understand that in this call, God doesn't just expect us to embrace the call. He expects us to be successful in that call. And to that end, I would like to uh, submit to you that our text presents us with four characteristics of what it means to be a successfully called Christian. The first characteristic of the successfully called Christian is that the Christian answers the call. I know that some of us don't answer our phones anymore because we uh, don't answer phone calls and numbers that we know. But the first call, the first sign, the first characteristic of the successfully called Christian is to answer that call. The second is that successfully called Christians place their confidence in the promises of God. Thirdly, the successfully called Christian chooses obedience over compromise. Lastly, the successfully called Christian courageously confronts fear with the truth of God's power. So if you look with me in verse, verse 1, uh, first, the first chapter of Joshua begins where Deuteronomy ends. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see that uh, there's an epitaph written for Moses, and Moses has died, and he's been buried by the Lord. And the children of Israel weep on the plains of Moab for Moses for 30 days. The Lord comes to Moses after that time frame, and uh, we have to understand that Moses, Moses was kind of a big deal. <laughs> you see, God used him to lead the Israelites out of the Egyptian bondage. Moses was the one that God used to show the signs. God used, Moses was the one that God showed his glory to. Moses was the one that God spoke to as a friend speaks to another friend in the tent of meeting. Moses was a big deal, but Moses was dead. And every man or woman, no matter how great or evil for that matter, no matter how big of a deal they might be, every great or evil man or woman will die at some point. Has there ever been a family member, a mentor, someone that you revered, that you loved dearly, that went home to be with the Lord. Maybe it was a mother or father, grandparent. That hurts. I had a soldier that this, this past weekend was telling me about the fact that they had uh, just lost their grandfather, their grandfather, and they were struggling through the, the loss struggling because uh, they, he had set an example for the family of what it meant to be a, a man, to lead his family. Struggling because, quite frankly, he left some big shoes to fill. Moses left some big shoes to fill. But I like, in this moment, how Moses 
excuse me, I like how God actually gives time for grief. You see, Moses dies, but God doesn't immediately come to him and say, okay, get up, let's go, cross the Jordan. 30 days have passed. When we are in grief, when we are struggling, what is our posture? Are we immediately trying to get ourselves up to get back to it immediately? Back to the work, back to the grind. Do we give ourselves time? God gave. We, see, we, this act of grief, this act of mourning, this is not something that we, in our Western culture, we don't think about grief and mourning in the same ways that, this, that, that Eastern cultures used, would think of grief. We don't think of it in the same way. We are so accustomed to getting back to work, doing, 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 and sometimes we got to slow down. Remember when Lazarus died in John chapter 11? Lazarus was sick, and Jesus didn't come immediately. Jesus doesn't come to Mary and Martha's aid. Actually, most, Lazarus dies, and he's been in the grave for four days before, last, before Jesus shows up. And they're mourning. And Jesus mourns right along with them, fully knowing what he's going to do. What kind of example is he setting for us? Sometimes we got to slow down. I like how God gives, gives Joshua and the children of Israel time to grieve, but he doesn't let them stay there. At some point, at some point, we got to get up. And when the time of mourning was ended, God gives Joshua two commands. He says, get up and go. Lead the Israelites into the land that I'm giving them. Now is the time to lead. But you know, this calling... This calling to lead didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen suddenly. This call to leadership that Joshua had, it was born out of following. In other words, Joshua was built for this. Joshua sat under Moses. He accompanied him to the tent of the meeting. He accompanied him coming down the mountain from when, when God showed him his glory. And he had the tablets of stone. God appointed Joshua before the people, and he told Moses to encourage him on numerous occasions. But wait, there's more. Joshua's being built for this wasn't just based upon these moments that he was in front of Moses. You see, in Exodus chapter 17, Joshua was a soldier, a soldier that fought and defeated the Amalekites. And Moses was told to make a record of that to remind Joshua of what was accomplished over and over again. That Joshua was to recite that over and over again. Remember Amalek. Remember that. Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to, in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. In Numbers 14, when 10 of 12 spies come back to the children of Israel with a bad report that God wasn't strong enough to deliver the land that he had promised, that it would have been better, they would have been better off going back to Egypt. Joshua was one of two spies that said, wait a minute, if God's brought us this far, if he called us to it, he can lead us through it. 
See, Joshua, now at this point, now a general, at all of these moments in life, God has elevated him at different points in time. He has seen and worked and learned and grown. God has used all of these experiences to prepare Joshua for this next season in his calling. There was no wasted space. Do we see everything that we do in our lives as preparation for what God is doing? Or do we see the mundane as wasted space? You know, when I was growing up, my family had a lot of love, but they didn't have much. And one of the ways that we worked to, or excuse me, not me, but my parents, parents worked to provide was uh, when they would buy clothes, aunties, uncles would buy clothes, but they would buy clothes two or three sizes too big for you. And they would buy Clothes two or three sizes too big for you so that you could grow into the clothes that you had. You see, we might not have enough money to buy you multiple pairs of shirts, multiple, multiple uh, pants, multiple shoes. But if we buy you something nice and you wear it and you wear it and you grow into it, then you give us time to save up to get you something else. Sometimes God will put you in a place or a position where the clothes aren't tailor-made. And when the clothes don't fit exactly how you want them to, will you still work? Can you still stick with where God has placed you? Can you let God grow you up in time? Are we willing to sit under someone else to learn from them, even if the work isn't comfortable or the conditions are less than ideal? Moses was told by God to encourage Joshua. Are we more known for our encouragement of others or for our exasperation of them? I'll say that again. Are we more known for our encouragement of others than for our exasperation of them? Answering the call, especially when it entails leadership, doesn't begin up front. It begins down low. It begins with faithfulness in the few things. Timothy's call didn't begin with the laying on of Paul's hands. That's confirmation of a special call. The cultivation of that general call was saw, God saw fit to use Lois and Eunice in the small things, in the small things, in the small things. Preparation for, for all of God's call is a lifetime commitment. And if a Christian is going to be successful in his or her call, we're going to have to answer that call whenever, however, and whenever it comes. Which brings me to my second characteristic. If the successfully called Christian answers the call, then second, the successfully called Christian places their confidence in the promises of God. Look at me, look with me at verses three and six, three through six. I love this part. God gives multiple promises. You look at verse 3, it says, I will give every place where you set your foot as I promised to Moses. You see, the, the English doesn't quite do us justice because it doesn't explain all that's happening. You see, in some of our southern sensibilities, it, it's got a, uh, not a, I give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I will give y'all Every place where you set y'all's, sorry, foot, as I promised Moses, y'all's 
territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon into the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea to the west. God is making that promise to the children of Israel that just like he said in Deuteronomy chapter 11, that all of these things I was going to do for you then, I'm going to do them for you now. Then he gets personal. He takes it from the from the corporate promise to the personal promise. No one will be able to stand against you, Joshua. All the days of your life, my kids would say there would be no ops, there would be no haters that would be able to stand against you. But I think that what's beautiful about this is Joshua was a spy and he had been in that land before. He knew. He knew that there were people in the land, and yet God was already promising victory before he started the journey. There were some ops. There was some opposition in the land, and yet God has already promised victory. See, we have to understand that if you intend to carry out the God-given calling on your life, you have to expect that sometimes there's going to be some opposition. But also remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's right. God takes it one step further. He promises Joshua, just as it was with Moses, I will be with you, Joshua. This is a comfort. That just because Moses is gone doesn't mean my plans have changed. My word is still, te- is still trustworthy. In fact, I'm going to go and carry out exactly what I planned all along. Therefore, don't be scared. The first, this is the first of the three times that he says, be strong and courageous. Do we sometimes treat God's word, God's promises like old coupons? Let me, let me try and make it plain for you. Maybe some of you have not ever had to use coupons. I, was, I told you I was a seminary student at one point. I had five kids. I used coupons, Okay. And when you have an old coupon that you really want to use, that you're desperate to use, you're going to go up to the counter hoping and praying, Lord, please let them accept this. But you really are not confident that they're going to accept it. Do we think of God's promises as hoping and wishing, but I'm really not sure that he's actually going to do it? Let me tell you, God's word is not like that. When he says something, you can take it to the bank. When God says, through the mountains, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love will not be shaken, take it to the bank. When God says, take heart, I have, I have overcome the world, take it to the bank. When God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, take it to the bank. When God says, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up, take it to the bank. Some of us don't want to admit it, but we are habitual put God to the testers. Remember when Gideon was called and he said, well, Lord, what if uh, I I think if you're if you're really serious about me doing this, well, put the fleece out and put the dew on the fleece, but keep the ground dry. Okay, I see that you do that. All right. Now that you've done that, I need you to do the opposite. Put the dew on the ground and keep the the fleece dry. Do we put God to the test habitually? You know, there was a famous author I remember that they said on television once, when someone tells you, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. 
How many times have we enjoyed the goodness of God, witnessed the wealth of his provision, and yet have been on the fence about whether we can place our faith in him? Confidence in God's promises is more than hearing them go in one ear and out the other. We have to remember those promises. We need to repeat those promises. We need to rejoice when we see examples of him being true to his word. Confidence looks like obedience. Which leads me to the third characteristic of the successfully called Christian. If the successfully called Christian is called and they answer the call, if they are going to uh, place their confidence in the promises of God, then thirdly, the successfully called Christian chooses obedience over compromise. Look at verse 7 and 8. Only be very strong and courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it. Turn from it to the right hand or to the left. And God calling Joshua to lead. God is expecting Joshua to practice all the law he received from Moses. God's word was to be in his mouth. In other words, Joshua ought to be able to communicate God's word verbally in every area of his life. Everywhere he goes, he should have that word in his heart and on his mouth. Which speaks to scripture memory for us. Are the scriptures on our minds, in our mouths? Do we meditate on them? Do we let them marinate within us so that they saturate every fiber of our being? You know, I I love when they would talk about old preachers that if you say, if you cut them, they bleed Bible. Can they say that about us? God says that the result of this having the law in your mouth, not turning to the right or to the left, is success. And it's for the second time that God exhorts Joshua to then be strong and courageous because he knows that kings have the tendency, excuse me, this language, this commitment to have the law, to have the law on our hearts and in our minds and reciting it day after day. This is the same command that God, that God gives when the Israelites are looking for a king. Later on, he says, you're going to look for a king. This is what they need to do. This is the same thing. And it's from the kings that we see examples of success and failure. First Samuel chapter 15, God rejects Saul as king because he refuses to go and destroy all of the things devoted to destruction from the Amalekites. Remember, we were talking about the Amalekites earlier. Saul was more afraid of the people than he was of God. Saul thought that he would be able to make a trade-off, that if he simply sacrificed these things, that that would be acceptable. Do we sometimes make trade-offs thinking that, okay, Lord, well, I know that you really wanted me to do this, but if I do this instead, shouldn't that be acceptable? Shouldn't I be rewarded for doing something for you? And the prophet Samuel says, no, it it is better to obey than to sacrifice. God wants our obedience. Solomon was charged by David 
to be strong and courageous in his building of the temple and to keep the law in his mouth and on his heart. And for a time, Solomon does just that. And he's faithful, but only for a time. You see, what we have in this moment is this buildup of something of, of God saying, if we are just willing to commit to him that he's promising the victory, he's promising success. But are we getting our eyes too set on the world's definition of what success is? I think we have. If the measure of success is simply boiled down to achievement in the places where we think things are most significant, we're prone to miss a significant part of what God is doing with Israel and what he's doing within us. See, the Israelites were in search of a homeland. God promised to provide that homeland to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised them land. He promised them descendants. And he promised that through them, all of the nations would be blessed. But that success, the success, the sense of that word is not what we think of it as possessions. It is to have insight, to get wisdom, to gain understanding, to be prudent or skilled. And if that's the definition of success, if it's not about the land, if it's not about the, the huge grapes if it's not about water and milk and honey, then what is it all about? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Success is God's presence. Being conformed to the image of Christ, that is success. Have we been so focused, so fixated on uh, pursuing the next thing, on accomplishing the next objective that we realize that or that we miss God's presence? Sometimes it's important for us to do uh, what the army would call an azimuth check. Now, an azimuth uh, is something that you have when you have a compass, okay? And you look at the compass and you've got a map in your hand in order to figure out where you need to go you need to be able to put the, put the compass together and point it in the right direction. Now, when you're walking according to a map, you need to be able to look back from time to time to make sure that you're actually going in the right direction, which means that that compass needs to be out often. When we're choosing to, if we're going to operate in our call, we need to continually be making sure that our priorities are in check, that we're actually moving in the right direction. If the Christian is going to be successful in his or her call, uh, lastly, the successfully called Christian is going to have to courageously confront fear with the truth of God's power. In verse 9, God says, have I not commanded you? I love have I not commanded you because it reminds me of my mother saying, boy, if I've told you once, I've told you twice, I've told you three times. Whatever I told you before is what I mean. Don't be scared. You know, I don't know about you, but I think Joshua had reasons to be a little concerned. We already talked about he had big shoes to fill, right? There were big people 
in the promised land, right? Mighty people that were occupying the land already. And thirdly, the people that God had called Joshua to lead, they were a big problem. Earlier, we saw how fear can cloud our judgment when Saul chose to uh, save things instead of destroying them, instead of devoting them to destruction like God had said. But I like the example of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, they said when faced with the, with the choice of bowing down or death, they said, oh, king, hey, the Lord may choose to save us or he may not choose to save us. But we're, what we're not going to do, we are not going to bow down. And whether God delivers, or delivers us or not, this is what we're prepared to do. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is knowing there's difficulty and there's danger ahead and making the decision to move forward anyway. The decision to move forward anyway. Some of us, some of you, are going to be called to some difficult places. Some of you are going to be called to some difficult people. Some of you will be called to some difficult pursuits. But will we choose in those moments to see that difficulty as God's glory? When we started along this journey, we, uh, I wanted us to be able to embrace our calls that every Christian has. To go ye therefore, I love the King James, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the, in the name of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded thee. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. We see this common call exemplified. We realize that in it, God expects not just that we embrace that call, but that we carry it out to success. And that success means that his presence is there. That means that we're going to exemplify the characteristics that God is known for, that we are going to be a people that loves. We're going to be a people that's kind, that's patient, that's gentle. We're going to exemplify those qualities. But let me tell you, there's one man I know that fulfilled his call to the utmost. In the wilderness, his bread was every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. In his most stressful hours of his life, his request was for his father, father's will to be done, not his. He is the one who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider equality to God, with God as a thing to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant. This is the one who is both the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. He is the just one and the justifier of sinners. There is one son of David and Lord of David. Though he fashioned the world and man with his hands, he was handed down to sinful authorities. He is the prince of peace and victor over death, hell, sin, and grave. This is Jesus, the eternal son of God, Mary's baby, Jesus 
the only way, the only truth, the only life. Jesus, who was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Jesus, our substitute. Jesus, he is the success that we desperately desire. And there's no call that will be proven meritable outside of his design. There is no glory due to any other. Jesus is the hope of our call and the only perfecter of the called. Lead us, guide us. Four of you lead us. We cannot stray. Lord, let us walk each day with you. Lead us, O Lord, lead us. Father, in the name of Jesus, your word says the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. Lord, help us to choose the narrow path. Lord, help us to not just hear your words today, but be doers. Help us to not be deceived. Help us to be a people that fully embraces your calling and performs it with success. Both now and forever in Jesus' name, amen.